0: Bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hey,
1: everybody, welcome to another edition of Weird Things, the podcast. As usual, I'm Andrew Mayne, your host, joined by my partners in crime and co hosts. Mr. Brian Brushwood. Greetings, Americans and people who I will consider as Americans. <laughs> Mr. Justin Robert Young. Howdy, y'all. There you go. So thanks first to all the newer listeners here. And one of the wonderful things about being featured prominently on the iTunes front page is you get of, Prominently. <laughs> you get a lot of new listeners. The, the downside is you get a lot of people who don't know what to expect, and for that, we profusely apologize. I mean, right. it's
0: called weird things. It's not called, smart hey, things. everybody, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> not called smart things. It's not called well-informed things. It's not called on-topic things. It's called weird things, folks, and I think that we deliver on that one qualifier, if, if only then.
1: Gentlemen, we've got a lot of weird stuff to go over, so I'm gonna jump right into it. Hell yeah. Ready. And maybe some possible career choices we might want to make here. Maybe rethink where the paths are going in our lives, given light of some recent developments. Now, Brian, I don't know if you were under a rock this weekend, but some pretty big news came out of Google on Friday. Are you aware of this? Uh, You know what? I don't know if I
2: told you about my new job as a quarryman, uh, but I've spent a lot of time under rocks.
1: (laughs) Justin, care to uh, illuminate him? So, Bri,
0: Bri... um... You know, the the Google kids, they're out there, they're they're, they're hands in all sorts of different pies. And apparently, one of them has revealed on their own blog and later in a a big story by the New York Times, the paper of record, is that they got uh, self driving cars all up and down the gosh darn California coast. You know, I was. Lombard Street, they're just zigzagging around. I was knee deep in
2: emeralds and rubies and diamonds. And from a crack in the (laughs) earth, I heard about this car. And I thought to myself, it's about freaking time. And seriously, now let me propose to you guys. Which would you rather have? A flying car or a car that totally drove itself? Flying car. A flying car? No Put way, dude. No way. Hell because yeah! Flying car, you have to pay attention to the flying. I would much rather be playing <laughs> Drop Seven on my iPhone the whole time. Hey, Brian, let Bonnie drive. Problem solved. No way, dude. I can't like. I can't <laughs> let Chad drive. Come on.
0: That's not a this practical is This solution. is the wonders of your brain, Brian. <laughs> I know. Is that we can't even enjoy the self-driving car? Now we have to go into the flying car. But it's not a flying car. No, I'm saying I would rather No, no, have, he, no he's for more than I'm the saying
2: this is better than a flying car. Everyone wants their flying cars. I say that's bogus. You don't want a flying car. What you want, it does, even if a flying car got you there faster, you want it to feel like you got there faster. And that's what a self driving car will do.
1: This is the difference between somebody who lives in Texas and somebody who lives in LA. Hmm. But Brian, I, I I'm excited. I'm absolutely excited about this. It's a big, huge. It's not just a fact. It's you know probably the most radical innovation in automobiles in a hundred years. It's also a huge step forward for robotics. The fact they've got hundred and forty thousand miles on the road in these cars, with only one accident where it got rear-ended and it wasn't its own fault, which is what I would be programmed to say. <laughs> that it's that's amazing. And so what this means for robotics, mind-boggling. What it means for the car industry, cars are now a part of the information economy. When you go buy a car a decade from now, what you're, it's going to be like a cell phone. The real money isn't in the manufacture of the car. It's going to be in the service and paying for the auto drive function. And that's exciting because really, really neat things happen when you move from selling atoms to selling bits because selling bits means the economy accelerates. You start increasing value. Mind is blown. Think
2: about what this means for fuel economy. When you have, when you get on the highway and the computer is doing the driving, you could be three feet behind a semi and get some crazy slipstreaming going on.
1: Oh yeah, well they talk about in the blog post like car trains—the idea of having just massive amounts of cars following each other in car trains and doing exactly what you just said—that drafting. So it's it's gonna it it's not gonna happen right away. But I would if you would ask me if you ask me Friday morning before I went to sleep, Andrew what is the likelihood that we'll have a car drive itself, be on the road, and be able to navigate around? I would have said five years at the earliest. I would have said five years before we'll find out that there's a car on the road driving itself. And then all of a sudden, by the end of that day, we find out that that's now.
2: But you got to remember, the parameters are a little bit different in that... um, uh, What's the DARPA initiative that they had with the self-driving car where it had to drive over... See, it's a
0: thing where you didn't really find out exactly what it was, but they had set up all these uh, stations on the island where They were trying to test the animals and stuff. No, no, that's,
2: that's psychic, Dharma just, Initiative. That's Dharma Initiative. We're talking about no, no, DARPA. Brian.
1: That was a show, Dharma and Greg. <laughs> Justin was right, So they, it's basically it's like a stopper, it's like a DARPA. metaphor. DARPA it's, DARPA it's a really did, just a
0: they had the I'll tell you, I don't know what they are, but I didn't really appreciate them kidnapping that black child.
1: No, and then the weird thing, and then that weird. Goatsey Cave. That was a little bit odd to me. I'm gonna be honest with the glowing. Thing. A big fan of yeah, that. I don't know why Brian brought this up though, Justin. That's really very kind of, off topic. Yeah. So, so Brian, so, so yeah, but but if you follow but like you know the DARPA challenge, and by the way, the engineers, it was like a fifteen person team behind this Google Car thing, and they hired all of the smart guys who won different DARPA challenges. That's awesome. And put them together. But the thing is, if you follow the progress of that, remember, a lot of that was up until a couple of years ago, they, they would do small solve small problems, but not big problems. Because navigating traffic, I mean, this thing full on, you click go, it starts, it goes, it drives through traffic, it stops at traffic lights. It When it sees pedestrians, it waits for them to cross the road. It's doing a ton of really complex things because Google figured out, let's do that kind of processing, not on a little laptop computer in the car. Let's use the Google servers to do that.
0: And by the way, murder's nobody, Nobody. which is really the big upset for me because, like, I figure you put one of those on the road, anything under six murders is pretty much a total win. So
2: this totally totally flies in the face of my theory of how it was going to go. I was convinced that there would never be all at once a car that drove itself. I was convinced everything would go in stages. I was convinced that the next phase, first there was cruise control. uh, Now, that you know, then there's backing up, assisted parallel parking, that kind of thing. I was convinced that the next phase was going to be tethering where what you would do is you would have radar on the front of the car. You would get, you know, two seconds behind a semi in front of you. You would click the tether button. And when that car sped up, it would space, you would speed up when it slowed down, you would slow down. And, uh, and when it turned, you would turn and and basically you would be tethered to the car right in front of you to allow you on, you know, you know, if you're going to be on the highway for a very long time, then you could read a magazine while you're, while you're doing that. We
1: we know how friendly, Tractor trailer truck drivers are when you want to draft with them, so I'm kind of surprised too. That
2: <laughs> well, I'm important. just saying, but but the problem, of course, is that it's very dangerous to to draft so close behind them. Well, but if you had it, computer assist, where where, but
1: it's it's also strangers. You're asking strangers to you know take advantage of. I mean, it, I mean, I look at that it where it's kind of like I, I to me the, the hard part about that, and I, I would say that you would probably that would be a thing in this where you could say yes, let other you know function with other cars like that, but you know. You know, to go out on a road and ask some complete stranger if you can drag off of them would that to, to, the 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 way to I'm sure there'd be a way to you know communicate and all that, but the legal liability. Yeah, there's if they a way stop. to
2: communicate. No, that's with
1: one finger out the window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's here's where I see our role in this, gentlemen. Okay, Michael Crichton, science fiction writer, movie director. It's now passed away. Very, very interesting thinker. He actually loved science quite a bit, although people thought that he was kind of anti-scientific, but he actually had a love for it, but liked to explore all the implications of it. He just
2: understood where the money's at. The money ain't at, and then the dinosaurs lived
1: happily ever after. Exactly. Well, before that, before he had the dinosaur theme park goes awry, he had another movie about robots going awry, which would be... The robots that went awry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> robots go wild.
1: Anybody? Robot
0: madness!
2: You've never seen circuits like these.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when we handed them
1: the camera. Anybody? Anybody?
0: Oh yeah, no, of course. There's gonna be uh, uh, you know five thousand people screaming at their phone right now. Mm. Oh, it's blank. What is it, Andrew?
1: Well, you guys are supposed to shout out Westworld so I could go, yes, that, but there was that other movie he actually directed called Runaway.
2: No, wait a minute. I thought he did direct Westworld. No,
1: he yeah, wrote he did. Westworld. He wrote Westworld, and then the movie Runaway came out, which he actually directed. Oh, Andrew. my gosh. Yeah, okay. okay. So I, I apologize to our listeners for that profound. I, again, exactly I, I thought- There's one right? guy. There's one guy in the entire planet who actually <laughs> had that dialogue. They're really like, no, not Westworld. It's got to be Runaway. Well, now Westworld was a correct answer too, but you guys wouldn't even give me that. So, thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. So my point is, so by the way,
0: if you, if you said Westworld and 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 we were we're led down Andrew main's Primrose Path only to be corrected, then please email No, us. no, so, no. Uh, no, but no, because that really I I actually wait, do wait, want wait, to tell
2: I, I do want to tell most people don't I would say most people under 25 hmm. don't know what Westworld was. I had to see it like I only saw it like 3 years ago, but the premise of it uh, was I, that there was a essentially a theme park populated by robots that mimic the wild west they had different worlds one was a wild west world one was um i forget what the other ones were but you could roman you could, world yeah, yeah. Roman. I mean, world. imagine
0: if you will several islands of adventure
2: <laughs> yes, yes exactly and you could go and experience a fantastical voyage where where you would you know you could you could you know you could sling iron you could be a rogue you could shoot a bunch of people and it didn't matter they with, have
1: sex with female slaves in ancient rome
2: yeah they sort of they sort of glossed over that visual there
1: but no, you could that was totally implied. You could do that. So anyhow, but if somebody out there, if the audience had shouted Westworld, idiots, you're absolutely correct. But the other movie, they did a sequel to that called Future World, and there was actually a TV series called Future World. And then he revisited that theme of robots going awry in a movie called Runaway. So it wasn't a yeah, trap. I mean, all answers would have been good. That's my point. But Runaway is the point, movie I want to talk about because the theme, do you ever see Runaway, Brian?
2: No, I did not.
1: In fact, Justin?
2: before tonight, I, I had have no not. idea he did that movie.
1: Okay, so Runaway. The theme of this movie, or what what it was about, was Tom Selleck played. I think it was like an LAPD cop in the near future, the not too distant future, which, as envisioned in like 1983, so all the computers look like computers from 1983 with this big isn't huge. The one with the
2: bugs is it the bug robot? Yes,
1: the robot. Oh my so, god! Yeah.
2: I saw the end of it like a million times on HBO.
1: So the, the movie, the premise is he's in a unit called the Runaway Unit, and they go after robots when they go awry, when they go crazy. And there's a bad guy and there, go Gene Google. Simmons. Yeah, there's a bad guy. Gene Simmons plays – and he's like – he's not really a very deep bad guy. He's just pretty much a bad guy to be bad guy, and he's creating robots for – bad robots for the mafia or something. it's It's not – one of Crichton's better works. But, <laughs> but what was interesting about it was he thought he envisioned the idea of a unit, a police unit. And their job was to chase down these runaway robots. The problem in the movie was the largest robot you ever saw that, you know, ran away was no bigger than like a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Yes. So yeah, not scary, but here's my question for you guys. Now that we got robot cars, now that we have the potential for cars to get hacked into and controlled, it could be a reality. You could have people taking cars, stealing cars on the road. I mean, stealing cars, taking them, and you could have runaway cars. Who's yes. going to join my unit? Who's on board with me? Um, wh- what does your unit do Exactly. We got to hang on to the hoods of cars as they go (laughs) down the Pacific Coast Highway really fast. We might use lasers and stuff. Okay. Okay. We've got to stop runaway cars. I'll
0: tell you what. You want to know? You won my heart with "We might use lasers and stuff."
2: (laughs) As long as we don't call them runaway cars, we got to call them Rogue Robot Division.
1: Our automatic, what about we use like their, autom- their automobiles, Rogue Brian? Robot
2: Come on, dude. That's, if I, you I, put Rogue Robot Division on my business card and I get to that, hand that out to all my family members, yes, I'm in.
1: Well, let me throw out some other ideas for, okay, let's think of their automobiles, the robotics, okay? So we, we'll call them Autobots, okay? <laughs> and maybe we have to be undercover, but we're kind of like cops, but it's like we're trying to like, we confidence game. Yes. So like we're Decepticons. Yes. And so we go after these Autobots. Okay, now I'm in. Now I'm 100% in.
2: (laughs) By the way, think about what's possible. Like, let's say this becomes mainstream, and uh, there would, I envision it, if, man, if this Google thing moves forward, within 100 years, possibly in our lifetime, we will see a murder where the weapon is a car that has been programmed, you know, that has been corrupted, with its artificial intelligence to run over.
0: And it's going to be up to David Caruso to solve the case.
1: Ah! Justin, can you, can you imagine a world where we use robots to kill people remotely? (laughs) Oh, wait,
2: that's that's the world we live in.
1: (laughs) Oh, wait, sorry.
2: (laughs) <laughs> no, but I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, it's different with a Predator drone or whatever. I'm just saying, I'm just saying like, um, it's different. No, you could,
0: could futz with somebody's cars. computer in their car now and totally murk them, Right. Sure. Couldn't you?
1: Isn't that, we don't know anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
2: uh, yeah. look, I'm are, just are saying, like, I
0: mean, like, you know, if you went in there and you just like, you screwed up the cruise control or had something where you could hack it and Dude, just you, like no, you it, it know, automatically went to 90. 90- I saw
2: strange brew. We can cut their brakes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah, there's plenty of ways to kill
1: people in a car. Yeah. So, but I'm saying I I'm just kills excited kills about the- in Soviet Russia, a car kills you. <laughs> I like we talk about Brian about this wonderful new technology that, you know, could save half a million lives globally every year and Brian is already salivating over the idea. And we could hear about the first murder.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying dun, that- dun, dun. <laughs>
2: I'm just going to be interesting implications.
1: I know. I can see you at the press conference. We look over. Brian's got his fingers steepled. He's looking really shifty. How long before we can expect the first murder? Well, we're, we're we're hoping to put safeguards in there. What kind of safeguards would it be enough to safeguard against murder? Let's say I got my wife's Google—I mean somebody's Google password. <laughs> could I then commit this murder? Dun dun dun! And,
2: dun, it, dun. Could and I go it was, down it was with that, that of this retainer wall at eighty miles an hour. <laughs> like
0: and crime. it was with then that Mister Brushwood was asked to return his credentials from the Mountain
1: View campus and was escorted off the premises. And they, and they made him. St- stop his dun, dun 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 ringtone on his phone because he was getting <laughs> annoyed
2: and that's when he joined the rogue robot division <laughs>
0: Yeah. hi my name is brian brushwood rrd rrd, RRD. Rogue, rogue robot, robot division.
2: division
0: that's right <laughs> dun, 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 i'm sorry i campus, just i just got a text it. hold on
1: it's Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no i like that we've got a page for some reason we're using pagers in this rogue robot division
0: yeah, there we go.
1: That was like the cool part about Runaway. I think he actually had a pager because they didn't that's really awesome. wrap their head around cell phones back that point, you know? So it's just, it's like you see this anachronistic technology. They got robots that are sentient and have conversations with you, and then, you know, grabbing a phone hardwired into the wall or like, you know, getting a, I gotta let's use a computer and a teletype goes off.
0: Yeah, that always sucks about future movies. Like, I feel like if you're gonna make a movie that's like something is like radically changed in the future, you kind of got to change everything, right? Yeah, like, well, yeah. you kind of got to, everyone's oh, got to yeah. talk through well, clamshells. Man, that's not fair.
2: I mean, you can't look into all the socio-political ways that technology will change society. But I will say, out of the entire last five minutes, the most significant advance I've heard <laughs> is the idea of the dramatic chipmunk music for a ringtone. That is awesome. <laughs> Because I love this idea that, that at some point I'm going to randomly say something and my phone will go, dun, dun,
1: dun. It's going to happen when you get pulled over on the way home and Bonnie's going to wonder where you are. All right, sir, can I see your license and registration? Bum, bum, bum. Sorry,
2: phone call officer.
1: Yeah, yeah, It's which would be better than cop killer. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy counts in the house.
0: Hey, folks, Justin Robert Young here. You know, I don't get donations. Just going to give somebody your money. You have no idea where it goes. No, no, no. That's not how we roll here Weird Things, the podcast. No. We want to give you a little return on your investment for being kind enough to want to support the show. That's why we're introducing listener sponsors. WeirdThingsMail at gmail.com is where you want to email right now if you want to get on the list for this. Yeah, it's a new experiment for us. Here's how it's going to work. For a very nominal fee. And this is like cheaper than a super cheap date like cheaper than two hot dogs and a beach towel all right you're going to be able to get a spot here we're going to sell three per episode and it's just going to be us giving you a shout out to your twitter so this way other people who like the podcast can follow other people that like the podcast and we can talk about stuff it's a community building exercise that lets you sleep easy at night knowing that you supported the show our first ever, is Bill Meeks. And I couldn't think of a better person to do it. He writes for weirdthings.com and he's got his own production house in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that does new media stuff. It's called Meeks Mixed Media. So go ahead and follow at Bill Meeks on Twitter. B-I-L-L-M-E-E-K-S or as I like to say it,
1: B-I-L-L Meeks! So, Bri, Bri. When I imagined it, you take one of your, your, your one of your, your adorable children out into the backyard. She's got a project she's working on for school.
0: Oh, hold on, wait. Can I can I can I point something out real quick? Go on. So the last episode we had of this podcast, uh, we had a fantastic scenario featuring Brian and his two children, Menace and Malice. Yes. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Until I went to go see Brian's show at Halloween Horror Nights in Universal Studios. Please, good <laughs> good tickets still available. And I realized that his smoking hot, super suggestive dancers are named <laughs> Madison Mouth. Did you not know that? No! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Which completely changed how I thought about that scenario. That
2: scenario became like, <laughs> okay, so you're hot early 20s dancers. <laughs>
0: Daughter. Especially, especially when you invited her to sleep in bed with you and Bonnie, but only after eight o'clock. <laughs> oh my God. What the? Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so Andrew, you were you were talking about uh, Brian and and hopefully his real daughters, Prudence, Gosh. Prudence
2: and
1: Chastity. Prudence, thank you. Yes, that's exactly. All right. So, Prudence and Chastity, my two daughters. So, Prudence has got a science fair project. Really, br- being a very very bright child that she is, taken after the mother, of course questionable taste in men she says daddy here's my project it's got a telescope right and on her telescope she's attached a, a little collector like a little uh something that can measure light coming into it and yeah. I'm like what is it? oh it's like you could look at a star or you could look at a planet and if somebody's trying to signal you you could see you're like well oh, that's 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 adorable princess is it like like do i see
2: like tin foil wrapped around it or is it made out of a cornflakes Box,
1: no, it's real, it's real gear. She's a smart kid, I mean, not something like you would make. I mean, this is something actual, smart, and put together. She's thoughtful, she you know, she put the parts in the
2: machined in China or something.
1: Yeah, no, it's like a Radio Shack project kit. You know, she's doing the soldering gun, and you pick it up, what's this crazy thing? You know, and she takes it back from you, slaps (laughs) your hand. Okay, so she's built this, it's real, it's a real thing, and you can find the plans for this online. This is real technology. She's like, all right. You're like, okay, this is not that adorable? You pat her on the head condescendingly, and she just sort of grins and bears it. Okay, and then she's like, bad enough her dad's a carny, you know. Now he's got to be condescending towards the science. Okay.
0: Jesus, you're that just is. really laying it on thick in this one.
1: Can I continue?
2: Uh, you know what? All of this, I deserved every moment of this. This is all accurate. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right. There's nobody's There's been no this, untruth Joseph. so far. Okay? <laughs> After the last podcast where Brian left his daughter alone to fend with snakes. That's
2: why I'm so uh, patient with with prudence okay. is, is, is okay. the fact that I let the so, snake bite her. Go ahead.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll say this. The idea of menace going around with that snake. thats a whole different <laughs> ballgame. Watch
1: her as she takes her pleasure from the serpent. <laughs> oh
2: my God. That's my imaginary daughter you're talking about.
0: <laughs> no, no. It's menace. That was it, it a, it was like, that's like a- That was a blur like a whole, quote. It's
1: like a whole Selma Hayek, Dustal Dawn situation at that point. All right, can we get back to Prudence and Chastity, please? So Prudence says, I got this telescope, you look at it, like, oh, that's great, okay? Because again, Brian was the one just who brought up, oh, is it made from like scotch tape and bubble gum? (laughs) You know, and I'm trying to answer that. No, it's (laughs) confidently put together. So she's got this telescope, and like, all right, Daddy, what do you want to do? You're like, well... Let's go look at the, I'm like, you know, well, I'm, an, I'm doing my pseudo Brian. Yeah. Voice. That's, like, that's yeah. what I sound like yeah.
2: whenever, yeah. like not around you guys, but as soon as we get home, <laughs> I turn off this microphone. I'm like, menace,
1: malice, prudence, chastity. Where's my bourbon <laughs> at? All right. <laughs> You're like, Hey, let's, Hey guys, let's, let's go look at that planet Glyza, which you actually use the correct pronunciation, you know, the, uh, or, or as you guys have named on your show. Boner. Oh Bone Earth. Yeah. Bone Earth. Gliza not ringing a bell. You know, Planet of system. No, Bone Earth. Oh yeah. You know what's funny is I truly had no idea what the real <laughs> thing is. I just Gleiza. knew it it's, as
2: Bone Earth, because we called dibs on it. Well, we it's called Gleiza.
1: dibs on it. Sorry, bros. So uh Gliza or whatever it's called, all right? So you're like, let's aim it there, you're right. And you just sort of swing the telescope around because you don't know what to do. And she's like, all right, I got it. She pulls out her little iPhone. Aims it right out there, right at the direction it, it's, it is in the sky. Now, you wouldn't be able to quite, you'd only be able to see the star, not the individual planet. Okay. You're like, that's great. And all of a sudden, there's a little display hooked up to this device you've made. Like, it's no ETT speak and spell thing. This thing tells you if there's signal. And all of a sudden, you see, doot, 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 you start to see a pattern coming through.
2: And? Say what? Well I, I just heard do, okay. do, do 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 you That's start like-
1: seeing a pattern you start seeing all of a sudden there's like this thing could pick up of you know, one of the ways they try to communicate to space aliens, the best kind of aliens to talk to, is through lasers. You aim a laser at some planet, you start firing it, you know, which they don't take as being hostile, apparently.
0: Because I'll so, tell you what, if you start flashing a flashlight at at an illegal alien, they don't take it near the they don't especially
2: not a laser when you're actually at the movie theater and you turn your point it right in <laughs> their eye. They don't they don't really dig on that. But I can see it right now though, like in my imagination like we hear this pattern and it starts to become totally totally clear as 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 and, and, and like you you hear it almost sounds like
0: eight, eight equals equals equals, equals, equals
2: So that's the signal, is that what we hear?
0: That, that, yes. that of course, folks, the, uh, the Bone Earth uh, Planetary Anthem, as, as penned by uh, Jelly D.
2: <laughs> that's Andrew Bancroft, formerly of the Dig Reel. Uh, Very well produced.
1: Well, it could be that. It could be the Karen Carpenter, the Carpenter song, you know, calling interplanetary craft. Have you heard that song before? Yeah, oh my god, that one's awesome. We'll put, a, we'll put a YouTube video up of that. It's awesome, Brian. It is eerie and cool, and it's about contacting aliens. So anyhow, you get signal. You get signal. None of this joke. This is the real deal. You're out there in your backyard. Prudence has aimed it there. All of a sudden, you're seeing, like, there's something coming back. There's some beam of light being shot from there, and you're getting signal. What do you do?
2: Uh, well, first of all, I call... Uh, I don't know, like the, you know, the sun over in England uh, or, you know, I, I call all of the tabloid rags because they are the ones who obviously are familiar with this type of story. <laughs>
1: all right, Justin, I want you to uh, I mean, let's say you did this before you heard about the fact that Gliese was habitable. You just aimed it at some star that was interesting. I'll even say that even before then. OK, now, Justin, I want you to be Brian calling the news agencies with this discovery. And I,
2: can I be the news agency? Sure. Hello, the news.
0: <laughs> hi my name is brian brushwood Who? i have some very interesting news for you
2: i i, I make it pass go um well
0: i have i've gotten some uh some some signs of life on another planet
2: really and this was yep. at at what scientific institution <laughs>
0: uh this was, well it was uh i was in my backyard
2: in, in your backyard using what yeah. how did you how did you get this information
0: my my daughter made a uh instrument which before you think it's made out of scotch tape scotch tape and aluminum foil it's not
2: uh okay and and so what is the nature of the signal
0: uh well it's it's uh it's kind of a
1: now, now, now it's just to interject interject here um uh I'm sorry, I picked up the line too. Uh <laughs> like,
2: I'm sorry, I'm sorry I, who's I, I, this is this who is this on the line, sir?
1: Who is this? I'm the other
2: news gay. Um uh, why don't the you two
0: know each other? Well, it's because fitting. we have
2: different departments. Now that yeah, I hear his voice, I recognize Andrew Main from the other department.
1: Yeah. So uh excuse me, sir. Uh yeah. you, you you're an astronomer? No, I'm not. you're not. What do you what do you do for a living? I I uh I
0: swallow fire. And I tore colleges doing my magic show.
2: <laughs> okay. Mm. All
1: right, I'm going to let you have I
0: don't think that you guys understand. This is, this is, uh, you know, this is what SETI's been looking for forever. How many millions of dollars have been poured in to trying to find some hint of interplanetary life?
2: Why are you calling us? Why don't you call SETI?
0: Number one, this was not my plan. I apparently had a really good idea to call the sun first. But I'm calling you because it's a huge story. And you, I don't know, maybe the sun is out of the business of breaking major news.
2: Listen, we can give you a front page on pay $25. Is that good enough?
0: No, I want way more than $25. This is, this is the biggest news story in the history of mankind.
2: That's a dial tone.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a nut job. Got hammer nails in his head, drinking jet fuel.
2: <laughs> Plus, he's unattractive and nobody loves him. He's soft and <laughs> doughy and over the hill. <laughs> and he so, looks like his confidence is kind of shattered and maybe he doesn't think he's such a great performer anymore. He's clearly spending too much time playing video games when he should be out there writing new material. This guy's a hack. <laughs>
1: So, Bry, you you see part of the problem there, and that 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 yes, the problem is I'm doing weird things. I need to write some new routines. I'll be right back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I seriously, why are we going SETI first? Well, I don't know. Those are the
2: experts, aren't they? That's legitimacy. I mean, nobody's going to say that's going to be the question. Is there going to say like
1: you know? Well, why hasn't SETI said anything? Let's say you're with SETI, Brian. Let's say that you're like, you know, you're, you're out of SETI, Papua New Guinea or something, okay? You're, 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 you are actually are, you've got a degree, you teach at some university there or whatever, and you're with SETI out of New Guinea, okay? All right. You're, you're like remote part of the world, but you're, you're a member of SETI, and SETI's not like, it's not like the FBI or something. SETI kind of a little bit looser organization internationally. So it's not like NASA.
2: I'm, uh, I'm smelling the actual details of the real impetus for this story here. I, I think that I, I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like there's something you're not telling us, Andrew. Is there something you want to share with us? Well, Brian, if you just want to cut to the chase, that's I, I, fine. I'm just, say- I'm just saying, I'm really interested in this story now. You have, you have successfully roped me all the way in because it's obvious. Like if you're just one person uh realistically, everything I've heard so far tells me that maybe they accidentally intercepted a satellite or they're misinterpreting a binary star or something like that. Or I'm, I'm sorry, like a, like a pulsar or something. Well, that's that's what I'm thinking.
1: Well, let's just put it this way, Brian. I'll just cut to the chase, all right?
2: Yes. yes. Can we just take our clothes off now?
1: <laughs> On one of our – well, <laughs> And it and was Alice at that involved? point
0: that the Weird Things podcast took. A total turn.
1: Yes. It started with binary and it didn't end there. So, Brian, we have a post on Weird Things. That's our blog, weirdthings.com. For listeners, check it out there. It's an interesting article that's been making the rounds. Apparently, a scientist from the University of Western Sydney, that would be in Australia, by the way, Dr. Ragbar Bethal, who is a member of SETI, was sweeping the skies back in the Halcyon days of 2008. You may remember that time. I think there was like, iPhone was just a year old. I don't think there was an app store yet, or it just came out. So, I mean, it's it's a long time back ago. No cars didn't.
2: Galactica, before yeah. we were tainted by Glee.
1: Lost was on the air. Magical there was no days. Sustain. Back to when cars we thought didn't that, drive. that V might be a good idea to bring back. Cars couldn't drive themselves. So, well, maybe not a good idea now in any sense. So he's sweeping the sky, okay, using, I think, some sort of laser scanning thing. He hits one part of the sky, one part of the sky, he gets an interesting signal. Never got it again, couldn't replicate it, wasn't sure if it was some sort of signal problem, but he got a very sharp, he describes it, we found this very sharp signal, sort of a laser look like thing, which they're looking for, a spike, and that was exciting. Jump forward, two years, excitement comes out. Because in that system, Gliese, we have what we believe could be the first habitable planet. Wait a A minute. A planet that... Wait a minute. So in
2: 2008, somebody had on the record said that he got what he thought looked like a signal from the exact same star system
0: where Bone Earth is? Yep. B-I-N-G-O, which means two important things. Number one... That we may have made and ignored, on some level, first contact. And, and number, number two, two,
2: we buy uh, a lot of blankets infected with smallpox.
0: <laughs> well, and also somebody might have superseded our call of
1: dibs. Hmm. Whoops.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm, would I'm like down to with call the smallpox blankets.
1: <laughs> so, imagine his surprise to find out that you know, the scientists, you know, and who knows what happened? There's a couple instances in the history of SETI and searching for signals from outer space where they've had interesting signals they haven't been able to replicate, that they've been able to rule out pulsars, terrestrial objects, etc., and they just don't know what it is. It could be something they just hadn't account for, but here's a case where this guy's saying this to everybody else is looking at this very skeptical. Like, come on. Come on. For real? But he's, and they say
2: it like that, like, like, you know, like he smells bad or something. Like,
1: come on. But he's, he's, he's not some hayseed carny in the backyard with his daughter. Okay. Hey, this hold is. On, hold on. Okay. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Especially not one who's maybe a couple pounds overweight and is really been trying <laughs> to cut down on his calories.
2: <laughs> Who needs to write more material for a stage show, but is too busy <laughs> dealing with
0: podcasts.
1: Yeah. This guy's an actual scientist, okay? This guy's an actual scientist in Australia, no less. So he has an accent that makes him sound more sophisticated than either of us.
2: I'm sorry. I thought you said he was Australian. Ba-ding-bing. <laughs> Boom. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs>
1: I'm anyhow. sorry. I'm getting a call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Point is, here he is. And now he's in this position where he's like, hey, I got a signal. I'm like, yeah, right, sure. Of course, it came from this area. No, really, I did. And... Now people are looking at him and calling him a liar, no, saying I'm, he's a bad scientist. Yeah, and you know I what? mean, like
0: how how awesome has this like fall been already? Like it like, falls like what a couple weeks old now, and like already oh. we have like a new planet that may be sending us signals, self driving cars. Like, is this the most historically awesome season? ever and like we're only a few weeks into it no let me tell you
2: traditionally the the fall science season is filled with a lot of duds but this year i'm <laughs> seeing some hits the pilots have been amazing i'm hoping that we get the numbers to move forward with them
0: hey folks let me tell you about a man named joel picard it's like jean-luc picard except spelled different and he's not french but played by a british person he's american through and through he also his illustrations To support a Weird Things listener who illustrates stuff by going to Joel Picard, J-O-E-L-P-I-C-K-A-R-D dot com. Make it so.
1: You've heard the stories about Chinese airports closing down because of UFO sightings? Yes, I did hear this, but I know none of the details.
2: Please tell me about it.
1: Apparently, there are airports in China that have been closing down because of UFO sightings. (laughs) Really?
0: Well, I big.
2: (laughs) I never would have guessed that from the lead into this segment. There was an
1: airport. It it was an airport in Asia. (laughs) 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 China, China. in fact. Yeah, China. uh, Outside the United States. (laughs) I think they were speaking (laughs) (laughs) Asian. So it's actually in Mongolia. In Mongolia, apparently there was a very foggy day. They look out there. They saw something flat and tubular hovering two miles from the the from the booty area in Inner Mongolia. I'm sorry, the what and the what it, I, I didn't quite hear that. Booty. Okay, <clears throat> it says it's booty in Inner Mongolia. All right, all right. You have a problem a with thing. that?
2: No, no. no and no, the no, people
1: who no. live there are called Mongolians. Let's not make a mistake there, okay, and cause another incident. Right. So this is the third time this year they've had an incident where they've had to close Chinese airfields, and I don't think this is like French public transit where they're looking for any excuse to shut down. This is they're seeing something, and it could be. Chinese military, very, very big. A lot of stuff going on. And they're not like they're going to tell the local airport, hey, this is, you know, we're testing this thing. But
2: So is that the prevailing hypothesis that it's some kind of military device?
1: Is in my house.
2: I mean, I don't know. I'm shocked that there aren't <laughs> a million times more hoaxers
1: out there when it comes to UFOs. Because, Given- you know, best place to do an aerial hoax involving air traffic would be China
2: well I'm just saying I mean they're all I I, in my imagination they're all on top of each other anyway so any any 12 year old who gets a you know a, a dry cleaning bag and a and a handle
1: oh this thing was way bigger than this this looks like my, my is, this thing looks like way bigger i mean it looks no, like it's, a, it's gigantic there's
0: video of it we have video on weird things i yeah. believe
2: well how, but, but that's just it once something's in the sky you have no perspective for how big or small it is based on because it's very difficult to tell how close or far it is so that's why people say there was a football fi- sized you know football field sized aircraft in the air that suddenly went from zero to 800 miles an hour in three seconds
1: uh, Brian, that is – you're 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 on point, but you have – if you have, let's say, something – in this case, if you look at the footage of this thing over an airport, and you have, the, let's say, the, the actual – the tarmac, and you see this thing that is presumably because it's not in the area, it's outside the area of the tarmac, and by buildings, you get some sense of scale. You know this thing isn't a foot across.
2: Yeah, okay. All right, well – I mean, yeah. I'll yeah, reserve you, you, judgment until I take a look at them. But you're the
1: absolutely right. I and mean, people who see Venus and they think it's smaller than that, and people who see small things up in the sky absolutely think it's bigger. If it's closer to the ground, you can maybe get an idea. But you're right. You can't know for sure because it could be something closer in. So you're absolutely right on that. But if you look at you know, some of these links, and we're going to put these up in here so people who are listening to this can actually go... See this? Um, we've got a is couple it, of posts uh, up here.
2: First of all, just tell me this: is it day or night that the footage is?
1: Looks dusky night. Okay, so the object is glowing or not glowing? It's glowing. It's alu- there appears right. to be illumination right. coming okay. from okay. it. So, so what is the? I don't know. I'm just uh, Brian. I, watch my, it! Watch it! The video is right there. And you you uh, want me to it. look at it right now? Yeah, let's look at it right now. Let's look around. Right. And by the way, my gut reaction looking at the photograph. Is it looks like an aircraft with a bright light illuminating the underside of it? But let me yeah, look, see that. Like
0: that's what I'm, and I'm almost more excited about that. Like it's just some sort of crazy aircraft thing that nobody wants to talk mm-hmm. about. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't I mean like the alien thing. Obviously, listen. I mean, if if, if aliens just kind of buzzing over, like, man, all right. I mean, cool if you can prove it, but that's really really hard. But if there's some like super insane air warship from China that they're just farting around in the skies with and they don't want to tell anybody because it's top secret military, then, like, that's awesome. That's, it's crazy awesome.
1: So, Brian, are you watching the video? All
2: right. yeah. All right, so I'm, I just hit play on it right now. Um, and this looks like a large cloud. It looks like a gigantic contrail, like, um, whereas most contrails are like a, a straight line, this is like a fanned kind of an arrowhead design. It looks like... It looks... To be honest, it looks like... uh, One of those chemtrail videos. Like, look, they're trying to poison our children with their chemtrails. And then it looks... Wait. And then it gets, like, weirdly big. It looks like it hits a sonic boom or something. Uh Uh-huh. You know what? Actually, I'm buying what you're coming from. Because the actual object itself... Is extraordinarily small, but the, the trails all around it are
0: huge,
1: gigantic. It it has all the earmarks of a craft of a rocket or a missile then h- hitting supersonic.
2: Yeah. Okay, no, I totally see that. Uh looking at it from, from this way. So yeah, no, no, I'm on board with with some kind of uh military thing where it's the and especially in a communist country, I would imagine it happens quite oftenly. Where, uh, where there's, you know, the, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is up to. And mm-hmm. They don't bother to, they don't have, you know, notify the FAA that uh, something weird is going to be coming over your airport.
1: Well, that was, you know, part of the problem with Project Blue Book. And when they were trying to, you know, go back and account for a lot of these things that people saw, and a lot of it was people seeing Venus. But the Air Force goes back to go look at these accounts to find out about the story behind the UFOs. And there are two things that they're not going to put in Project Blue Book. The first one is when we're testing our own aircraft, because you don't want to say, "Oh, that UFO people saw was actually this, you know, this version of the SR seven one we were testing before people knew we had it, our right. F seventeen stealth fighter." So you can't say that. So you got to redact that, and that looks suspicious. And the reason, and you don't, in you can infer intelligence, as you know, Brian and Justin and. People who watch *Rubicon* so much of it is inferring a lot of things from little details. There's a story yeah. ab- about how we found out how Russian MIGs were made because somebody smuggled a coat hanger made from the shavings that they used to make the MIG out of Russia. No way. Yes, way. Well. So, some. Somebody- It's So they get this coat hanger made from this material. They analyze this coat hanger and they see the metal. And all of a sudden, based upon the metal, you can tell a lot of things about that characteristics of that. So if you had sightings of, you know, somebody saw something over Tulsa and then all of a sudden somebody saw it over, you know, 45 minutes later over St. Louis, what can you tell? Velocity. You know, so a lot of that. So that was our own aircraft. But the other thing that they would redact and not put in, there's actually a book up there. I'll put a link to one of these, uh, one of the, I think James Oberg's a guy who's gone into a lot of this and he's talked to NASA, talked a lot of aviation stuff, and he's a really good expert on this. One of the things he found out was if the Russians or the Chinese wanted to test our defenses, and there are stories that the Russians actually try to put like high altitude MiGs straight up the Mississippi Valley to find out how far they could get before they got detected. And? Would you report? Do you, and well, apparently, apparently that's some of the UFO accounts we have was we figured out that was what was going on, that it was you know, the Russians testing our perimeters, but we're not going to come out and say, oh yeah, no, this thing, this was a MIG that made it all the way over you know, the Mississippi.
0: Yeah, they could have just as easily shot and bombed some poor farmer's house.
1: Yeah, or you know, made it straight into you know could have gone a, made a right turn and gone into the DC because it found a way to get inside our perimeter. So those are the kind of things you don't report. So as you said, yeah, it's not a surprise, not a shock at all that China could be testing a missile.
0: I don't even think it's so much cooler, so much cooler if China's testing a missile.
1: Yeah, really cool. And by the it's, way, I mean, it's like
0: I mean, aside from UFOs, is what I'm saying.
1: Well, and aside from the fact they have scary military technology, we don't quite know, and we maybe aren't always the best in terms of the militarily. Yeah, it's great, Justin. <laughs> you
0: know,
1: God, your 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 imagination—it's just so so tamped down sometimes. <laughs> After the podcast, I'm going to tell you some stuff that'll make your toes curl.
0: Oh, so, all right, there. Curl my toes, Captain. <laughs> i tell you. There's 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 no. I'm not saying I'm happy about it. I'm just saying. Okay, that, it's that the idea, like it sounds idea No, I'm just saying that the idea of crazy military technology for which is beyond our natural comprehension is... I like it better when we have it. I like it better when we have it. I'm not saying that we should have it or they should have it. I'm just saying that that is a cooler idea than UFOs. What?
2: No, dude, I'm down. Well, okay, UFOs are aliens. Or at least
0: this, this. Aliens. Just, just, I mean, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, just a UFO sighting like that where you just see it in the air and then it goes away. Yeah, okay. And we can't prove it
1: audience judge how they feel about that
0: you know i'm not saying I, I, that the I'll chinese this, should ha- hold a, a military up uh, you know edge on us i'm saying that military technology is cool
2: i will yes, say this much i will say that my perception totally changed once i actually saw the video so so go and type in chinese u uh, ufo at weird things and actually look at it and it's the difference between hearing a story about something fantastical and actually seeing the video you're like oh no that totally looks like something based in reality. Yeah.
1: Cool. You know, what we'll do on another podcast is we'll go over some of those really cool stories. We hear about like things that the Navy's detected underwater and some, some of the cool stuff that's documented military stories about altitude stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of weird hardware being used right now that we don't quite, you know, we as civilians don't know, but there's things talked about in the aviation industry as things, assumptions that technologies that are being put into use, but haven't been disclosed publicly hey guys i've been doing some reading this week and i've got some picks i would like to share well one one pick that leads into some other ones and i would love to hear some of your recommendations for the little weird things book club justin you got one
0: i do andrew uh i just uh, got done reading the first compendium of uh, the walking dead the graphic novel that uh, is going to be turned into a AMC series this Halloween starring, uh, all of our, our friend, uh, Michael Rooker, as well as a uh, very, very fine cast and directed by a uh, Frank Darabont, the guy who did the green mile and the Shawshank redemption. Uh, I, I recommend it very, very highly. I also very much recommend getting the first compendium because if you were like me, you are very, very excited that you can kind of burn through, uh, Some of The the, the beginning story is very, very good and very, very inventive. And I think a lot of people will very much like it as they did uh, when it first ran. But for me, things really get cooking in the second half. And uh, I I think I would be uh, much more down on the series if I didn't have as much of the material to go through. So The Walking Dead Compendium 1, that's my pick.
2: Which, by the way, I'm very flattered to hear that you came around on it because... uh... People may remember, long-time listeners re- may remember that I recommended that same book a uh, long time ago, and I was so flattered when you actually read it. But just last week, when you came up to Orlando to visit while I was doing the Halloween Horror Nights, uh, you, you were only halfway through, and you were kind of on the fence. So so I'm so thrilled to hear well, that you came full circle and, and came around on it.
0: Well, no, I don't think I would say full circle. It was just, you know, there, there's... Uh It it, it certainly is a very odd kind of character study because it it, it doesn't want to do a disservice to the fact that the main drive is that the world has changed and these people are under unbearable stress that we can barely comprehend. And so you kind of get frustrated reading it that, you know, they're like every conversation ends in a screaming match, you know, and, and that it's you would think that it's almost lazy from a a writing perspective that there can be no more nuanced emotion. But at the same time, as things go along and you kind of get to know these characters a little better and you start to really get into what I believe are the more interesting elements of a post-zombie society, uh, including everything from, you know, pregnancy to sex to society to democracy, uh, that's when things really, really get cooking. And... It has a fantastic villain.
2: Well, And, and uh, I believe my favorite thing that came out of our argument slash discussion about it was that I called it the, the Grapes of Wrath of zombie fiction.
0: <laughs> I will say it is way better than the Grapes of Wrath.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you I'm glad you like it. That's the only thing. It's like, you know, that's a win if Justin's on board. We'll see if Andrew
1: likes it, too. I look forward to reading it. Look forward to reading it and putting all of your taste into question here. (laughs) I'm torn, guys. I've got I've got two picks here I want to make, and I've been doing this thing lately where I've been going back, rereading and re-watching stuff that I knew I always liked, but just sort of looking at it from a different point of view. So do you want my reading pick or my movie pick? I kind of just to mix things up, let's let's do movie pick. All right. This I went back to watch this movie. Because I've been going back and watching things were by cer- either in a certain genre or by a certain director or a certain series. and I went back to watch this thing and, and I found that it was a, it's a really interesting political thriller. And you know the heart of it it's a political thriller, but it's kind of done as sort of a mystery. And part of the reason it's done like that is the, the, was the writer and the director of this film has a history of writing actually mystery novels in the Sherlock Holmes genre. So, when this guy took upon this project, he used that same sort of inspiration in telling a story, and it's, on some level, it's kind of a political sort of whodunit, which is familiar to some other movies. It came out in the 80s, and it's similar to those things. And so you, you kind of like if trying to pick it apart. I'm asking myself, is this movie a political theory, thriller? Is it a mystery? There's a little bit of a prison break in there. And it, it's kind of torn between the three of those things and trying to figure out what they are. And I think that's part of the reason why it works so well is there's these three separate stories. I mean, there's the mystery part and this prison aspect of it. And it's underlying this political thriller, which is the overall part of it. And I, of course, am talking about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Do you
2: know what? Hell, Hell Yeah. My brother loves that movie, and I do not love it. And the difference is, my brother loves mysteries, and I don't. That's awesome that you recommended that, though, because it really gives credence to my brother's, you know, heavy, heavy support
1: of it. If you were to ask me to write a list, a short list of the greatest science fiction films of all time two films I know for sure that would be on there. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which was also directed by Nicholas Meyer, and then Star Trek VI. And the reason I love those films, and I didn't realize this so much until I went back and I watched them. By the way, Star Trek VI is available right now on Netflix on demand until they pull it down. So if you want to watch it tonight and you have Netflix, you can watch it and see what I'm talking about. What I loved about them was there's a mistake that people make when they want to write or tell movies that are science fiction. They assume that science fiction is both the genre and the milieu in which they're talented. And I have yeah, no idea make if that's ab- the right.
2: No, yeah, but they make it about the science fiction. Like, no, I mean, mm-hmm. this, you nailed it. The greatest science fiction stories are not about the science fiction aspect. You know, what made Star Trek 2 great was about... The 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 revenge, the wrath, mm-hmm. the hatred, you know. And same thing with um, uh, two thousand one. It's it's the mystery. And even Star Wars. Star Wars is a fantasy movie told in a science fiction st- setting.
1: Well, but that's kind of one genre for another. I mean, I, I think that a genre, you know, it's like saying a movie set in New York City. You could be set in a fantasy world or a sci fi world. It doesn't tell you necessarily what kind of movie it would be. Where like Star Trek six uses the future and the Star Trek universe, the same way that somebody's shooting a movie in a, in 1940s Chicago would, it has a character and it plays a component in this kind of story, but it, 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 at it's core. It's about people or aliens in this case, and those interactions in Star Trek too, like you said, you could take that movie. You could take wrath of Khan and you could just change you a could few things it in, in world his,
2: war two with submarines it, and it would one for one. Absolutely. Track perfectly.
1: You absolutely Khan could be like some, you know, Burnout German U-boat commander Kirk could be what have you as, as you just said it could be it could be a naval story and it would still work you know work well and Star Trek Two by the way was the least expensive of any of the Star Trek movies they made Star Trek Two Wrath of Khan for eleven million dollars and it is it's if you ask my for my list of the top ten greatest sci-fi movies the top ten Star Trek Two is up there and I'd say Star Trek Six is pretty close now because just I watching this again and seeing how well told of a mystery you've got Spock playing the part of Sherlock Holmes trying to solve this problem. You've got Kirk in the middle of this political intrigue and he's being put into this because of his reputation, who he has way out of his,
2: his comfort zone. I mean, that's what's oh. neat is seeing Kirk, you know, out of this black and white, you know, uh, communist versus America situation placed in this nuanced position.
1: Yeah, you know, he steps into that movie and his history, it like two, it's his history is part of the reason why he got pulled into this. Who he was, his actions he's taken are now why he's the protagonist. It's not just a random guy selected for this or they just encountered some strange alien entity. It's because of the things he did in the past have come back and have ramifications in the future. So Star Trek Six is my pick. I'll have to give
2: it another try. I, I've been historically down on it and even when my brother defended it, I was down on it. But- Hearing, hearing it come from a different direction. I'll, I'll have to give it another try.
1: And if you get another chance too, also on Netflix, you can find one of Nicholas Meyer's other films, which is Time After Time. Did you ever see that film?
2: Oh my God. That's the one where they discover, uh, that's the one with Christopher Reeve, right?
1: No, that's somewhere in time.
2: Oh, no, no, no. Uh, time After Time is the one where they get H.G. Wells' machine, right? Yep. Yes, yes. And uh, that's the one with um, the, guy, the guy who was in a Clockwork Orange. What's his name?
1: Uh, this, that, this is actually, it's a Malcolm McDowell. Yes, that's the one. That's the guy. That's the guy I meant. Yeah, exactly. So it's Malcolm McDowell plays HG Wells, who finds himself in the 1970s, which when this movie was made, the 1970s were considered very modern. When you watch it, it feels very dated and he's trying to chase down Jack the Ripper. Oh
2: yes. I loved it. Cause I watched, I watched the heck out of that movie when I was in like second grade on HBO.
1: There you go. And so that was you know, also a Nicholas Meyer film. And Nicholas Meyer is a novelist. He's written several Sherlock Holmes novels that are considered really good, as good as the original stuff. So he's certainly a person worth looking into. Awesome. Brian, what do you got for us?
2: I found myself in a discussion earlier this week about a book that really blew my mind. It's uh, nonfiction. It's written by uh, Your Friend of Mars and uh, Your Friend of Mars. Your friend and ours, T- Dr. Richard Weissman, called The Luck Factor, The Four Essential Principles. And oh, it's, great book. It's essentially a scientific approach to figuring out what makes lucky people lucky. And, and there's certain things you got to figure out. First of all, are people who consider themselves lucky, luckier? And it turns out that, yes, they are. And part of that is part of their worldview to how they see things ambiguous situations. Is this a for example one of the scenarios they ask is you go to the bank, you're going to make your weekly deposit, all of a sudden a bank robber robs in or you know jumps in, there's a scuffle and you get shot in the arm. The bank feels terrible, they give you a check for $5,000. Is this a lucky or an unlucky situation? People who called themselves lucky says, what are you talking about? So you're saying I don't die, I get shot, but I recover. And I get $5,000 and a kick-ass story. Dude, that's lucky. Unlucky people said, let me get this straight. I'm at the bank, minding my own business, and I get shot. Pretty sure that's an unlucky scenario. So uh, starting from there, it identifies like what makes for people's perception of what's lucky and unlucky. And then it goes on to the question of, can you create your own luck by copying the types of behaviors that lucky people do? It's absolutely amazing. Highly, highly recommend it.
1: So Brian, you're in a bank about to deposit a check. (laughs) Lucky, lucky. Bank robber breaks into the bank. And then he asks me to play Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) Shoots you in the Nars. (laughs) (laughs) The end of story. (laughs) The end. Lucky. No need to comment. I read that too. I, I enjoyed it. I like the way Weissman described that. And it really is because when you describe that, like, I'm like, and you know, like, because I know, like, I'm on the fence on that, some of that stuff, because I'm like, well, you, you got shot. I mean, then it's, but it's, then as you say, you know, but a lucky person looks at it like, I lived. Yeah, no, I gave, that's totally how I am. I mean,
2: look, every time we start doing the weird things, I'm just like, none of my children got eaten. This is a lucky episode.
1: <laughs> Justin and I frequently, I'll, I'll mention this to Justin, when we talk about an opportunity or seeing something, and I, I use the example from Dumb and Dumber, when the guys are walking along the road, and the bus pulls up, and these two beautiful women come out from Hawaiian Tropic, and they go, we're looking for a couple of towel boys to come along with us, you know, and oil us down. And they're like... Well, you probably find somebody that way. And they point off down the road. And then the bus, the girl gives them a funny look and then dries off. And they're walking along. That's, and they're that's like, "Well, wow.
2: That's almost, and, and I don't want to spoil the mystery, but anyone who reads the book will totally get what, you're, what yeah. you're going at. I mean, that's what you just said directly corresponds to one of the studies they did in The Luck Factor.
0: 404. What do you normally think when you see that? Page not found, dead end. You might as well die before you hope to find what you were looking for. Well, I have a cure for that. His name is Vincent 404. Sure, the name might throw you, but the destination's delightful. He's a big fan of this show and I personally recommend that you go ahead and follow him. Why? Because I'm following him my gosh darn self. Yup. Jury approved. Follow at Vincent404 on Twitter.
1: So, Dr. Brian. <laughs> yes, pr- Professor Maine. Uh, oh, please. Uh, you guys honor me. You guys honor me. Both you, Dr. Justin, and Dr. Brian.
2: <laughs> All of a sudden, I feel like doctor is a dirty word, and like in your mind, it's just like douchebag.
1: Douchebag Brian. Yeah, well, douchebag Justin. why don't you Justin. go
0: doctor it up there, Brushwood? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm actually trying to find my source article that I was looking at. Um... <laughs>
2: So that's what you do is you, you, you give honorariums to people.
1: Oh, I lost it. Here we go. Sorry. Lost a window here. So Dr. Brian, Dr. Brushwood, Dr. Dr. I'm, uh, a little bit curious about this revelation you guys have brought forth to me. I I, I don't know how to understand this. I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around it, but... uh, I don't know what it
2: is, but I'm sure we put a lot of effort into it and a lot of research and a lot of money to grease a lot of scientific palms.
1: So you're telling me that time will stop in 3.7 billion years. Yes, that is exactly what Dr.
2: Young and I have discovered through our extensive research involving a lot
1: of what we call brain enhancement elixir. All right. So did you hear about this? Did you hear about these, uh, a group of physicists came together and said, there's a 50% probability that time will cease to flow in the next 3.7 billion years.
2: I I thought I did. It sounded to me like it was some kind of version of like a heat death of the universe, but with time and space. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to lay this out. I've talked about this with Justin, but I'm going to lay this out in front of both of you. And I'm going to, Brian, I think you, you're you a pretty rational guy. No. All I mean, yes. I won't even give you that then. I take it <laughs> back. No, no, no. Yes, yes. I, I like to think I am. All right. I'm going to present, I'm going to give the argument as best as I can. Okay? And then their argument. So this is what we know. We go look at the... Universe. We go look at the satellite data and all that, and we see that apparently the universe is inflationary; it's expanding
2: and right. speeding up in its expansion. Correct?
1: Right. Which, which but just just during the inflationary part alone, would imply the universe is not going to contract, which means time doesn't close back onto itself. Time keeps going on and on. All right. Right. So if the universe keeps going on, there there are some models. If the if the universe was going to come back onto itself, was going to contract, you would then everything would eventually fall into a you know a point singularity, and then time would end, and then it could restart or what have you. But according to what we know now, the universe looks like it's going to go on forever and forever and ever, and then we're going to get as you pointed out the heat death. Everything eventually the stars are going to burn out, and that's the end. But time would still continue on. Theoretically.
2: Right? Oh, I mean, in my okay. imagination. Yeah. And by the way,
1: okay. you just created a mini nuke in my
2: brain explaining that like like I was figured that time would continue if the universe exploded, expanded, and then contracted, and then came to a singularity and then re exploded. I figured it would be a linear time event. But I guess for the first time I'm considering that that like Einstein suggested, it you know, all space time is all one fabric. And so, man, you just broke my brain two ways. Keep going.
1: All right. So some scientists <laughs> were sitting around there and they're like, dude, just broke our brains thinking about this. And a scientist said, somebody said, well, here, here's the problem. Here's the problem, guys. If time goes on forever, that means the universe is infinite. In an infinite universe, everything is possible and everything can't be possible. So therefore, an infinite universe is not possible. So something has to happen to stop the universe. So, I don't know. That sounds. You've got like awful to odd.
0: stop the universe.
1: Is <laughs> they're saying it's a paradox? Because otherwise, you have a paradox. Although the physics says the universe goes on right, and on. All right, all right, run run that past me again. Okay, okay. So they're right.
2: saying if the universe is infinite, then all possibilities can happen.
1: Yeah, if time goes on forever, if time does go on forever, then all things would happen. But that would be a paradox.
2: I disagree with that. And and I have no rational basis for this outside of when I was in in college, we learned about the difference between countably infinite and uncountably mm. infinite. So so let's say are, are are we talking about the idea of the universe has multiple iterations, and each time it explodes, it does something different an infinite number of times. No, all right, okay.
1: Explain to me this the made this made headlines around the world. All right. And it made headlines and then it got some criticism because apparently, and again, I apologize if i misconstrued what these people have said, but every account of what they're, and I actually went like to archive.org and read like sort of the, 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 overview of what this was being talked about. They're making this assumption, which you've taught you, Brian, you've actually taught critical thinking. And one of the things you learn when you talk about critical thinking is you try to understand paradoxes and understand things that are counterintuitive. And you used a description there, and a thing that many people, a lay person wouldn't be expected to understand, but a scientist should know, not all infinities are the same. There's a concept called like Aleph-1, Aleph-2. The number of odd numbers is infinite. The number of even numbers is infinite. The number of odd numbers plus even numbers is twice the number of either one of those.
2: Right, but is equal in that they are all three countably infinite. But then Mm -hmm. the part that blew my mind is that uh, the number of integer, yeah, the number of natural numbers is infinite, right? Uh, And that's, you know, one, two, three, four, five. It goes on forever. But the number of integers is uncountably infinite in that for any two numbers you can name, there will be another in between them. So in other words, the distance from zero to one is infinite in integers. The distance from zero to to 0.0000001 is also infinite because there's always gaps in between. That uncountable infinite is what blew my mind.
1: And that and that was you know, a long time ago, a guy named Zeno proposed this, and that was a paradox where he said that you couldn't reach the end of a race because first you have to reach the halfway point, and then before you reach the halfway point, you have to reach the point that's halfway between there and the point halfway between there, and he realized there's an infinite number of places you have to reach before you get to the end. Right. And, and that's data that paradox
2: all the way until, uh, what, 500 years ago with the invention of calculus. That's finally how they solved Zeno's
1: paradox. Right. And you can understand that, well, you know, your stride also has an infinite number of covers, an infinite number of distance. Understand there are greater and lesser infinities. They're, and being infinite doesn't mean everything. If you count from, you know, if you keep counting all of the odd numbers – you know, you're going to count forever and you're never going to count a single even number. So they made a big mistake here. And their statement was that in infinite universe, that all things are going to happen. Right.
2: Okay. So, and, and, and you nailed it is the difference between like, um, uh, let's, let's say in universe, you it, a, sir. I step, I take a step of one meter and in universe mm-hmm. B, I take a step of two meters. The gap in between just there is an infinite number of possibilities. From one to the yeah. other, right? It's that, it's that uncountably infinite that you, like, you can't have an, an infinite number of iterations and have every possible uncountably infinite possibility occur.
1: Correct. So their assumption was they made they made a classic what we would call a freshman error in trying to understand what infinity mean. They think they thought it meant everything. Now, infinity now, doesn't mean everything. It now, just means endless.
2: Yeah, but but keep in mind we're we're three jackasses on the internet. What what does the scientific community say about this assertion?
1: Well, first the regular press, the 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 scientific press, which means people who are not really that scientifically literate, went out and re- put this all over and like people are like oh wow this is interesting. Now there's other people are starting to chime in. No, this is this is a classic. Classic. This is a classic logic problem that they got wrong because they're making a very, very fundamental mistake in trying to understand infinity. And this has happened before. You know, there's been scientists, there's a prominent scientist, I can't remember his name, who figured out that, you know, we are in the absolute middle of human history.
2: Wait, based on because
1: it, Well, based upon the law of averages. If you have to figure out at what point in time we are in human history, we're going to be halfway there. <laughs> oh, uh, we're, we're likely to be halfway there. Right, which is... Right. Basically misunderstanding a concept of statistics. I see.
0: Undetermined (laughs) is whether or not we're living on a prayer.
1: Yeah. and It's it's, it's saying that you're (laughs) like, oh, whether or not we're halfway there. If we're going to be anywhere, we're going to be halfway there. Well, no, you're no more likely to be halfway there than the other point without any other data. So it was sort of amusing to watch this thing. This was actually a few months back, make its way around the interwebs where time will stop. I mean, Headline Time Will Stop in 3.7 Billion Years because it's a big grand kind of concept, and we're used to scientists telling us really amazing things and going, Okay, again, like
2: here's the weird part we have to acknowledge that given the fact that this is all based on a logical fallacy or whatever, there's still every possibility that time may stop in 3.7 billion years. Well, it says will stop, not may stop. Well, I'm saying it
1: may, (laughs) I'm a big fan of the Brian. How much you want to lay down on that? How I, much you gonna I bet? I
2: may want to lay down all my money. I bet you my flying car. I bet you my self driving
0: car.
1: Maybe, Justin.
0: I'm out. I'm out on this <laughs> one. You guys, you get, you guys go ahead and race for pinks. It's fine.
2: <laughs> I love this idea of like the two of us on a drag race where it's like this drag race will will decide what is true in science and when Andrew's in his flying car and I'm in my self driving car, Uh, Andrew's like got his racing goggles on and he's got his his foot on the accelerator. Brian's busy playing video games on his iPhone because he knows
0: he'll get there
1: eventually. You're like, whatever. It's
0: like, yeah, well, all right. Well, you're navigating the skies. I'm going to take a nap.
1: As we approach the speed of light and I'm like, all right, we'll turn on our headlights. Wait a second.
0: (laughs) My mind's blown again.
1: <laughs> ladies and gentlemen this has been the weird things podcast we thank you so much for your patience and till did next you, time i'm Andrew Main.
2: you say patience like you know thank you for your patience for patiently waiting for us to stop talking for an hour <laughs> yes okay well i just wanted to be clear i'm brian brushwood
1: <laughs> i'm Justin a rabbit it's been weird
2: email in a suggestion or scenario for the next Weird Things Podcast email weirdthingsmail at gmail.com